0: Good morning, New Hope. you got to be smarter than the mic, right? I know just enough technology to be dangerous. Um, Those of you who are observant have already figured out that I'm not Mark Kring. Uh, My name is Gary Post. I'm the care pastor here at New Hope. It's good to be with you this morning. Thank you for coming. Let's pray before we start, shall we? Dear Father, uh, we thank you for this time together. We thank you that, uh, that we can worship Lord freely, that uh, we can come together and praise you and learn from you and encourage each other and, uh, and just uh, be together, uh, even in the midst of all the chaos that's going around us. We know that nothing of any eternal consequence will happen today unless your Holy Spirit empowers it. So we ask for your Holy Spirit's presence and power here today as, as we teach and attend to your word and, um, and as we encourage each other. We ask all these things in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, amen. Well, life is difficult. Life is difficult. Those are the first three words in M. Scott Peck's book, The Road Less Traveled in 1978. It's become some, something of a Christian classic. He goes on to say that this is one of life's greatest truths, because once we understand that life's inherently difficult, only then are we prepared to overcome its challenges. Pastor and author Tim Keller elaborates on that, uh, the difficulties of life in, in his book, uh, Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. He says this, The implicit but strong cultural assumption of young adults, and I would add of adults at any age, is that God owes all but the most villainous people a comfortable life. This premise, however, inevitably leads to bitter disillusionment. Life is nasty, hard, brutish, and always feels too short. The presumption of spiritual entitlement dooms its bearers to a life of confusion when things in life inevitably go wrong. It's important to recognize that that life includes both joy and sorrow, both happiness and pain. That's one of the marks of spiritual maturity when we we recognize that. And as a care pastor who spends most of my time counseling, I, I have to tell you that no one ever shows up in my office to tell me how great things are going. It it just doesn't happen that way. I spend most of my time with people in in some flavor of pain, grieving the loss of a loved one, uh, facing a life-threatening illness, either themselves or someone that they love, Um, abandonment by a spouse, broken relationships, problems in marriage, prodigal children, overwhelming depression and anxiety, addictions, personal failures, the same is true for our care coordinator, uh, Tabby Romy, who deals with many uh, women who are uh, wounded and hurting. And with our Stephen ministers, who come alongside uh, those who are hurting to encourage and pray with and, and lift them up over time. And for many of you who, who minister to each other from day to day and, and week to week. Jesus told us clearly that life would not be easy but that there's hope in him. He said this in John 16, 33. I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Jesus always points, him, points us back to himself as our ultimate source of peace amid the tragedies of life. But, you know, some labor under the misconception that Christians should always be happy, that we really have no excuse for being unhappy. In fact, uh, some will say to you, if you're discouraged, uh, some will say, well, uh, pray and read the Bible more and and you won't be so sad. Um, That's well-meaning, but I think it's terrible advice uh, because uh, yes, we should all pray and read the Bible more. Uh, That's true for everybody. Uh, But there's more to it than that. The Apostle Paul acknowledged that even for Christians, Sorrow and, and grief is very real. He says in First Thessalonians 4.13, he said, uh, sorrow is real, but, but we do not grieve as those who have no hope. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. He never says we don't grieve, does he? Uh, no, we do. We grieve, we sorrow. Uh, but we have hope. So if we don't grieve like the rest of mankind, then, then how do we grieve in in a way that honors God, in a way that accomplishes purposes in our lives and that provides for him to give us his comfort and his healing over time. Well, in a a word, we lament. We pour out our hearts in sorrow to God in, in prayer for him to rescue and to heal us. Pastor and author Mark Vrogup, in his book Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy defines lament in this way. Lament can be defined as a a loud cry, a howl, a, a passionate expression of grief. However, in the Bible, lament is more than sorrow or talking about sadness. It's more than walking through the stages of grief. Lament is a prayer in pain that leads to trust. Lament typically asks at least two questions. Where are you, God? And if you love me, then why is this happening? Can you relate to that? whatever pain or hardship you may have found yourself in or find yourself in at the moment, how can we grieve well? And, and by the way, I should uh, interrupt at this point to say that uh, if you don't have a, the study notes, you'll find that they're particularly detailed. They contain all the quotes that I'm going to be using. They contain extra resources for you. They're right out in back here, so you can grab one now if you want to or, or grab one after the service. And um, I think you'll find that helpful. Um, Pastor Vrogop, again, when we, when we talk about learning to lament, uh, he says that the practice of lament con- contains uh, four elements that, that should be included in our, in our expression of sorrow and pain to God. And that is uh, turning to God. Uh, we choose to talk to God about what's happening to us. Uh, we, number two, we bring our complaint. We identify our pain and our sorrow, our frustrations, our questions. And then we, uh, number three, we ask boldly for help. We ask God to intervene in our pain as an act of faith on our part. And then finally, we choose to trust. We choose to trust in who God is and and what he's done for us. So so what's the purpose of a lament anyway? Well, lament is how Christians grieve, according to Pastor Vroga. Uh, Lament is how Christians grieve. It's how to help hurting people. Uh, Lament is how we learn important truths about God and our world. My personal and pastoral experience has convinced me that biblical lament is not only a gift, but also a neglected dimension of the Christian life for many 21st century Christians. Watch for the four elements that we just talked about in Psalm 142. We'll we'll read Psalm 142, which is a lament. About a third of the Psalms are are laments. And this is a, a Psalm of David. The context is that he was running for his life. From King Saul. This was before David was king. Uh, he had been anointed, but uh, he was not yet king. And uh, Saul, the king, was chasing him with his army. So David was running for his life, and, uh, and he found himself hiding with his men in, in caves in order to escape Saul. That's the context in which he wrote this. David says, I cry aloud to the Lord. I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. I pour out before him my complaint. Before him I tell my trouble. When my spirit grows faint within me, it is you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me. Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. I cry to you, Lord, and I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I am in desperate need. Rescue me from those who pursue me, for they are too strong for me. Set me free from my prison, that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. The the practice of lament uh, for pouring out our sorrow to God in prayer is found throughout Scripture. I already mentioned that about a third of the Psalms are laments. Uh, When Jesus called out to God on the cross and, uh, and said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Uh, that was a lament. It's right out of Psalm 22, verse 1. In the Old Testament, uh, Hannah, if you remember, uh, Hannah cried out to God uh, because she was barren and she wanted to conceive a child. And, and so she, she asked boldly for God to help her con- uh, conceive a child. And God uh, rewarded her. Or God uh, answered her, her petition and uh, allowed her to conceive a son, the, the great prophet Samuel. The entire book of Lamentations is, is, a, is a lament, uh, Jeremiah's lament about the destruction of Jerusalem. So the first step in a lament is, is turning to God. We choose to talk to God about what's happening to us. David the psalmist said in verse 1, I, I cry aloud to the Lord, I, I lift up my voice to the Lord for mercy. And so uh, turning to God in prayer is a choice. And, and I say that because many who are hurt and discouraged Don't turn to God for a number of reasons. Uh, One reason is is depression. Depression makes us turn inward in isolation. We turn inward on ourselves. We want to curl up in a ball. Uh, We isolate from the sources of comfort and healing that we need the most at that moment. That is God and other people. Esther Fleece in the the book uh, No More Faking Fine puts it this way. We're not meant to sit in our pain alone. Isolation is one of the most harmful things that we can do to ourselves. It keeps us in the very place we want to get out of. Unspoken laments can lead to basement thinking, which will only increase our pain. But speaking of our pain, honestly, inside a safe community is a very good way to start walking into healing. Opening ourselves to others for their care and comfort can help us get unstuck. Isolation, especially now, in the middle of this pandemic, has been a source of discouragement uh, to so many. A second reason why we sometimes turn away from God rather than turning to him is that that we we stuff our pain. We rely on, we go silent with God, and we rely on our own self-sufficiency. We say, well, I'll just gut this out in my own effort. But lament is really an antidote to self-sufficiency. Esther Fleece again She says, my laments became an incubator for intimacy with God. I love that. Became an incubator for intimacy with God as I got to know him as my ever-loving mother and father. Sometimes it, it takes hitting rock bottom to realize our dependence on God is spiritual strength, not weakness. Sometimes it takes a desperate, don't forget me, God, to see with new eyes that he is powerfully present with us no matter what the circumstance. Another reason why we can turn away from God instead of turning to God is that we're betrayed by our feelings to think that God is distant or uninterested. Uh, We have to counter Satan's accusations that God doesn't care about us with God's truth. In Psalm 34, 18, one of my favorite go-to verses uh, for helping people who feel distant and discouraged distant from God and discouraged is uh, Psalm 34:18. that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Often I'll have a conversation, especially for those who have been traumatized uh, earlier in life. Uh, they'll often feel distant from God or disapproved of by God or that God hates them uh, even. And, and I'll, I'll ask them to, to read this first to me and then I'll say, are, are you brokenhearted? Well, yes, I am. Are you crushed in spirit? Well, yes, I am. Well, what is, where does God say he is with relationship to you? Well, it says he says he's near to me. That's right. He's near to you. What does, he say, what does it say that he's prepared to do? It, it says yeah, he's prepared to save me. He's prepared to rescue me. That's right. So your, your choice here is, are you going to believe your feelings, which are transient and which mislead us? Or are you going to believe what God says is truth, what God says is reality? God is always near to you when you're hurting. Another reason why uh, we can turn away from God is we allow our our pain to turn us against God in anger and bitterness over our loss. Esther Fleece uh, speaks to that. She says, if the enemy can get to us, if the enemy can get us to feel neglected by God, there's no way we'll feel safe enough to bring our laments to him. That's the heart of his strategy When we believe God has forgotten us, the last thing we want to do is to go to him in prayer. And so our stuffed down laments turn into lies about his character. We choose to turn to God or not because of who we understand him to be. And many wounded men and women that I encounter have a defective understanding of who God is and how he desires to work in our lives. Michael spoke to that this morning. He, he said, one thing I want you to leave here with is understanding that God loves you and that you are precious to him and that he wants an intimate relationship with you. Uh, we need to help people see uh, themselves from God's perspective, not from their own perspective. Those especially who are raised by angry or abusive fathers or mothers tend to see God as angry and vindictive rather than as a loving Heavenly Father who desires a relationship with them. It requires reshaping their understanding of who God is and how much He loves us. And many times that happens through Scripture, finding out who God is in Scripture. I always say that the Bible is, is, is God telling us who He is and how He desires to work in our lives. Uh, Esther Fleece uh, speaks to this issue in In her book she says I had to bathe myself in scripture and get to know God again. I had to spend time with him and in his word to remind myself of his true character not the warped reflection I was seeing of him through the lens of my circumstances. Here's what I found. God is close to the brokenhearted. His salvation is near to those who fear him. God is near to all who call on him in truth. Well the the second step is bringing our complaint. Uh, we, we identify our, our sorrow, our pain, our frustrations, our, our questions, and we bring them to God. This is what David did in verse two. He says, I will pour out before him my complaint, before him I tell my trouble. Yes, God already knows, that's true. He knows everything. That's not the point, is it? Uh, in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Uh, we confess our sins f- for us so that God can heal us and sanctify us and make us righteous. Not for him. He already knows what they are. And the same thing, same thing is true here. He already knows the source of our pain. He already knows what we're going through. But he, he says, I need you to pour that out to me. It's for you so that you can understand that I'm listening to you. There's a difference between complaining to God and, and criticizing God. And When I work with couples, I, I make the distinction this way. If the husband, who I'll call Larry, sorry Larrys, who I'll call Larry, is not picking up his dirty clothes, it's certainly appropriate for his wife to say, Larry, if you'd pick up your dirty clothes and put them in the hamper, you would make it so much easier for me on laundry day. Would, would you do that for me? There's nothing wrong with that request. If, on the other hand, she should say, uh, Larry, what's wrong with you? You're so irresponsible. You can't even pick up after yourself. Were you raised by wolves or what? You see, that's an attack on Larry's character. It makes him a bad person because he doesn't pick up his socks. In the same way, we're in no position to criticize God's character, but we can legitimately complain to him about the circumstances we find ourselves in. You know, the most important attribute that people are looking for in a counselor is someone who will listen with empathy walk alongside them in their pain and understand uh, what they're feeling. And that's what we're looking for in God too, isn't it? And when we cry out to God, pouring out our pain, our sorrow, our frustrations, our questions helps us know that God hears us and understands our pain. He empathizes with us. Scripture tells us that explicitly. Esther Fleece puts it this way. If I would have taken my hurt to God, I would have found that God's love for us is unwavering. This is why we can lament to him freely. He doesn't compare our pain to another's. He doesn't minimize it. He doesn't spiritualize it away. We can wrestle deeply with the character and nature of God because he's longing to give us a deeper revelation of him all the time. The third step in lament is is asking boldly, Asking God to intervene in our pain as an act of faith on our part. You know, it's so easy to get stuck at the complaining step. When people are struggling with depression, one of the uh, pitfalls there is, is uh, now I'm struggling for the word, is uh, rumination. That is, we, we seize on negative thoughts, we turn them over and over in our minds until they become our reality. And then we, we act as if those things are true. And, and that, that can happen too. If, uh, if we don't ask. Uh, and, uh, James says to us, you do not have because you do not ask God. You do not have because you do not ask. So David, as a psalmist, uh, fights that discouragement and, and that disorientation that comes with pain. We see it in verses three and four. He says, when my spirit grows faint within me, it's you who watch over my way. In the path where I walk, people have hidden a snare for me, Look and see, there is no one at my right hand. No one is concerned for me. I have no refuge. No one cares for my life. You can feel his pain, can't you? I often observe that when people are overwhelmed with a sudden loss or, or with a betrayal, that they're disoriented. They find it difficult to think clearly and to make decisions. They often feel alone, and it feels as if there is no one who cares about them. Yet in spite of being overwhelmed by his circumstances, David, at the psalmist, still has, has faith uh, to acknowledge that, he says, it is you who watch over my way. It's an expression of faith that God is still in control. And that faith is enough to allow him to move from complaint to asking God boldly for what he needs. Charles Spurgeon puts it this way, truly it's, it's well for us to know that God knows what we do not know. We lose our heads, but God never closes his eyes. Our judgments lose their balance, but the eternal mind is always clear. David acknowledges his dependence on God as his refuge and his rescuer, and he asks God for exactly what he needs in verses 5, 6, and 7. He says, I cry to you, Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Listen to my cry, for I'm in desperate need. Rescue me from those that pursue me for they're too strong for me. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. You see, David's prison was a cave to which he fled to escape his pursuers. But our prison is often despair, loneliness, fear, bitterness, anger, overwhelming sorrow. God can free us from all those things. Mark Rogup acknowledges In this way, he says, A loss can feel like a wasteland. It's devastating. But lament helps us to rehearse biblical truth so hope will return. Despite what you see, despite what you feel, despite what you think, lament can be a supply of grace as you affirm that God's mercies are new every day. As you rehearse what is true, hope can rise. I promise. God promises too. Sometimes we're so broken that we can't even muster the faith on our own to ask boldly for what we need. And that's when we need community. We need the people of God around us asking God boldly on our behalf for what we need. Vrogup again uh, summarizes it this way. Beyond your own prayers, keep this in mind the next time you're walking alongside a hurting friend. You might think that praying with someone in pain is a small and insignificant thing. But it's not. You'll likely be able to ask God for help with a different level of faith than your hurting friend can muster. The boldness of your request and the confidence in your approach to the throne of grace can be a great help. You can pray with a firm belief that creates stronger faith in others. If you don't know what to pray, consider appealing to God through the words of a lament, like Psalm 13 or, or Psalm 22, as you echo the boldness of the psalm, it can beget boldness in a hurting friend. We come alongside each other in our pain, and that's what the Stephen Ministry does through the through their what they call the ministry of presence. Uh, those Stephen ministers who come alongside others to to uh, pray for and encourage and listen to uh, as they walk through a painful hardship in life. If you could, if you could use someone like that uh, to, uh, to encourage you during a difficult time, then then contact the Stephen Ministry. You can call me, you can call the church, check in with, uh, with Phil or Carol Tobias who lead that ministry. Uh, Tabby Romy, who's a, our care coordinator here as well, will help you find the Stephen Ministry. Um, but they're a wonderful resource if, if uh, you happen to need someone to walk alongside you right now. A final step, choosing to trust. Uh, we choose to trust who God is, what he's promised, and, and what he's done in our lives. Uh, a lament always ends with an affirmation of our trust in God to provide what we need. And, and David affirmed God's power to accomplish what he asked and, and also the goodness of God. When he said this, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Then the righteous will gather about me because of your goodness to me. In, in order to affirm our trust in God, we have to know who God is and we have to trust his character. Mark Vrogop puts it this way, therefore a lament is rooted in what we believe. It's a prayer loaded with theology. Christians affirm that the world is broken that God is powerful and that he will be faithful. Therefore, lament, I love this, lament stands in the gap between pain and promise. To cry is human, but to lament is Christian. We have to be able to trust God in the waiting, don't we? In the waiting for his timing to deliver us. Esther Fleece uh, observes, even as we cry, how long, Lord? We can trust the process that in the waiting we are being strengthened and sanctified and transformed. Even in the waiting God is powerfully present and that can be a source of deep unshakable joy. But to trust God we we have to know and remember his promises to us in in scripture. And I included uh, uh, three of my favorites below. But uh, Esther Fleece uh, says this about the promises of God. In the same way, calling to mind God's promises is an act of faith in the fact that he will do what he says. If we feel like God has forgotten us, then we have a great opportunity to dive into Scripture and refresh our memory of who he is and what he promises to those who follow him. Uh, three of the, my favorites, my go-to promises that I use with other folks are or Isaiah 41.10. I particularly like it in the New American Standard Version. It says, Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. The image that comes to mind is somebody looking all over for help when their source of help is right in front of them. Do not anxiously look about you, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And then uh, one we've talked about, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. Saves those who are crushed in spirit. And then finally, uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7, which is, uh, I call God's prescription for peace. Uh, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Let me share with you a, a testimony of uh, lament, uh, someone who's moved from lament to joy. Johnny Erickson Tata, for those of you who don't know, is a, a wonderful Christian woman. I think she's in a, perhaps in her 60s now. Uh, but she was uh, made a quadriplegic early in life, at 17, in a diving accident. And of course, she went through all the, the lament of, um, her, uh, about her situation. And, and ultimately, at this stage in her life, I know that she's written over 50 books, and uh, she's uh, touched millions of lives all over the globe, all while a quadriplegic. And the, the, the place where God has brought her as she walked through that, that pain over the course of a lifetime, uh, she summarizes in, in a testimony in her book, A Place of Healing. Uh, this is what she has to say. He has a plan and a purpose for my time on earth. He is the master, artist, or sculptor. He's the one who chooses the tools he will use to perfect his workmanship. What of suffering then? What of illness? What of disability? Am I to tell him which tools he can use and which tools he can't use in the the lifelong task of perfecting me and molding me into the beautiful image of Jesus? Do I really know better than him so I can state without equivocation that it's always his will to heal me of every physical affliction? I am his poem. Do I have the right to say, Lord, you need to trim line number two and brighten up lines three and five? They're just a little bit dark. Do, you, do, you, do I, the poem, the thing being written, know more than the poet? Friend, you may be going through a time of wounding right now, and if you are, take heart, because your heart is being set to God's, and there is no saving work apart from pain. Your life will produce so much more fruit from it all, fruit that you probably won't even see or or know about. Every day of our short lives, even every hour, has eternal consequences for good or ill. Eternity and the way we'll live in it is somehow being shaped by our moment-to-moment responses to the life we have before us to live right now. Isn't that a powerful testimony of the grace of God to reshape a life? I have one more thing to share with you. It's, it's one thing to hear me talk about lament. It, it's another thing to hear a person who's walked through it. And so uh, my friend and colleague in ministry, uh, Tabby Romy, uh, agreed to uh, be brave enough and vulnerable enough to talk about what she's gone through. Over the past couple years, uh, she was left alone after 25 years of marriage. and. Uh, and uh, lament has been very important to her in the, in the healing process. So uh, earlier this week, we met together and, and, uh, and I interviewed her, asked some questions about how lament has been important to her and how it's worked in her life. And so the video we're about to watch is, is, um, is her story. I thank her for sharing it. Nothing like hearing it from somebody who's been through it, right? I appreciate uh, Tabby being vulnerable enough and brave enough to be willing to share her story with us. I think she's going to be uh, toward the back someplace if if there are those of you who would like to talk with her more about what it looks like to lament. Let's pray together, shall we? Dear Father, uh, we thank you for uh, your love for us. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning. Uh, We thank you that you pursue us and that you desire an intimate relationship with us. We thank you for the way you comfort and, and heal us in our pain. And uh, Lord, uh, I pray that uh, this week, as we go out into this world, that, that you'd reveal the character of Christ in each of us, that, um, that you'd empower us uh, to live out his character and to be that source of healing and comfort and hope to the hurting people that we encounter. And we ask all these things in the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you all for coming. Have a great week.